We're in Titus 3. We are finishing up on this. And <clears throat> where we're going over the next few weeks, we've got Titus 3 today. And then next week, Samuel Casting will be uh, preaching. And then the week after that, we'll finish up Titus. And then we'll be in Ruth heading up towards Christmas. And then in the new year, we're looking at uh, preaching through the book of Ephesians just to give you a little layout of what, what we're looking at coming up. So Titus chapter 3 today. Um, and as you're, you're turning there, I'll get you the specific place in a moment. But as you're going there, let me ask you this question. When you, when you think of God, what ideas come to mind? Like, besides Morgan Freeman, what ideas come to mind? You know, is, is he angry? Um, is God distant or, or disinterested in his, his creation? Does he simply tolerate you and your life? You know, there's a... There's a word in our passage today, and you'll see it when we read it, but uh, that I hope comes to your mind when you think of God. And I mention this because I don't know that it always does, but the word is, is kind, or, or rather in our context here, kindness. And in verse 4, we're going to learn that the, the loving kindness of God appeared, and in this appearing comes salvation. That's the loving kindness of our, of our God. And so uh, we're going to see that in a lot more in this text, so go ahead and... Uh, uh, Titus 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 3. It's only four verses we'll be reading, or five verses. I don't know how that math works out. We're going to verse 7. So, Titus 3, <clears throat> verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, you know our histories. You know our thoughts, our actions. Uh, you know our general lack of conformity to your ways. And if indeed we uh, have faith that Jesus Christ is, is your Son and, and is our Savior, then we know that we have been redeemed despite our foolish ways. Uh, this morning, God, I ask for, for your people to have a renewed sense of, of wonder at your mercy in the gospel. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week's passage ended with this, this call to, to show perfect courtesy to all people. That's the last phrase, to show perfect courtesy to all people. And the assumption there is that all people are those that are not Christian and likely those who are not very kind or gentle towards Christians. And our passage today then begins with this word for, for in the sense that, you know, here is why, here's why I want you to show perfect courtesy to all people. Uh, it shouldn't surprise us then that what he goes on to explain after this, what Paul explains is that uh, what our life was like or what our life would look like before we, we came to find rest in the gospel of, of Christ. Um, 
You read that list, and, and many of you are going to recognize this as your own identity, things you see in yourself and practice, and, and others of you here today are, are going to see that, and um, because you've had the blessing of, of growing up in church, you don't remember that. You don't remember a day that you trusted in Christ. Uh, you're going to look at this, and you're not going to recognize it, and, and, and for you, I want you to understand, this is what you would be. Uh, this is what your life should be, uh, apart from, from Christ, and so we, we praise God for that, Okay. Uh, but apart from Christ, we learn here in verse 3 that, that we were foolish, right? Uh, foolish is the word we, we throw around, you fool, etc. Uh, but we get a picture of what the word foolish or fool means in, in Psalm 14.1, uh, which defines it saying, it, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, so, so as you read that, though, don't assume. I think sometimes we get this picture of, of the outspoken atheist who's antagonistic, that wants to remove every sign of God from every public space uh, in the world. And that's just not the case here. You know, it's, a, it's also those who, who just live like God does not exist. Those who, who make decisions like God does not exist. Those who, who act on their own feelings as though God does not really exist at all. So... So then if apart from Christ, our beliefs were foolish, it shouldn't surprise us that also our actions apart from Christ are disobedient, right? That's what we see here, which of course means that apart from faith, we see what God commands in his word, and we simply disobey it. It continues then, saying, before we believe the gospel... We were led astray, slaves to various passions and, and pleasures, selfishness, sexual sin, gluttony, hedonism, in the sense of, of just pursuing whatever it is we believe will bring us pleasure, whether that be intellectually or physically. And we get a, a similar picture to this, this life apart from Christ. We see it all throughout Scripture, a beautiful picture of it in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, where we read, And you were dead in the trespasses of your sin, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So is this idea starting to come into to focus what it is we might, we might be like? See, basically, our relationship with God was a complete mess. Just a mess. And the natural result of that broken relationship with, with God is that we also have a broken relationship with, with one another. Our relationship with others are a complete mess. And that's why it says here at the end of verse 4 that we were passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Malice, uh, uh, if you don't know, it's a word we use sometimes. Malice is hoping for, for injury or hoping for, for harm or suffering to come to somebody else. Uh, uh, envy is similar, though. Uh, envy is uh, wanting the blessings that someone else has to be your blessings in, instead. Uh, you know, wanting the promotion in, instead of someone else getting that promotion. Wanting the house they have. Wanting the vacation that they're getting to go on, uh, and so on and, and so on. It goes on to say, then, that uh, we not only hate others, but we're hated by others. And that's because, you know, it's difficult to love someone who is malicious and envious of, of people in practice, if that's the way you're going to interact with one another. Now, it, it really is necessary 
that our passage begin this way. And I, I know you read this and you think, well, why focus on that? Why mention any of that at all? But, but it's necessary because we don't just, um, we won't really understand the loving kindness of, of God towards us unless we really understand what we were or what we would be apart from God. Um, and, and you see, that's why it begins this way. And then the rest of our passage, verses 4 through 7, are actually, once again, just one continuous run-on sentence. I know, it's, uh, it's a lot of words there for one sentence. It begins, though, with that conjunction, but, right? Uh, it's telling us something happened with that conjunction, but. Something changed. The trajectory of our life was going one way, and something has actually changed that trajectory. Uh, if you've ever seen that movie, it's an old movie now, Armageddon. Uh, there's an asteroid the size of Texas. It's going to collide with the Earth, and, uh, and they send up these astronauts that need to somehow change the directory of that asteroid, and they do so. They use explosives, if I remember right, uh, and the asteroid ends up missing the, the, the Earth. Um, but that's kind of the way our, our lives work. I might have just ruined that movie for you. So <laughs> you knew how it ended anyway. It never ends with everyone just dying. Um, so our path of life, though, was, was quite terrible, and, and then it changes. We, we see that it changes, you know. As, as verse 4 says here, the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. That's the thing that's changing it. That's what changes our, our, our lives, our eternal condition. He's something outside of us, and we see here, namely, God changes everything. When, when people give their testimony, you know, what, what God has done in their life, how he's brought them to the face, it's faith, it's, it's always this, this turning point, you know, my life was this, but, but then this. You see that trajectory change, you know, uh, uh, but then God did this, and we see that. Sometimes um, we see people feel bad about their, their testimonies. I know, I don't know how many times uh, Travis and I have been in, in membership interviews, and someone is, is kind of telling their story, and they're like, well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm sorry, mine's really boring. Um, you know, it, it's... You know, it happened at such a young age or, or something that they just find incredibly uninteresting. And, and sure, you know, to be honest, you know, explaining how you were self-righteous is a little less interesting, you know, before coming to faith is a little less interesting than, you know, uh, I was in a murderous gang while addicted to crack before God saved you. Sure, that is more interesting. It is. But, but don't ever, ever, ever mistake less interesting as less a work of God. Because it's no less a miraculous work of faith that as God has accomplished in your boring testimony that he accomplished in any other testimony that you might find way more interesting in your own. And, and so we saw this a, a few weeks back uh, that we're seeing in this text again. Uh, you know, this phrase, the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, that it appears, right? Um, we didn't seek after God, but, but he appears in the world. He appears to us. Um, also, it, it tells us this aspect that Jesus has always existed, and, and God has always intended to save his people. These weren't plans that, you know, were thrown together along the way. I've always loved, honestly, the way uh, Cademan's Call worded this in, in their song, Table for Two. Uh, they had this lyric that says, Because you knew how you'd save me before I fell dead in the garden. You knew how you'd save me before I fell dead in the garden. I just love that, that picture of showing God's plan throughout the, you know, all of eternity, even before time existed. In our passage here, we, we see this phrase, God our, our Savior, there in verse 4. It, it refers specifically, because you hear that phrase and you think it's Jesus, right? It's, it's actually speaking about God the Father there. Uh, and he has always had a plan to, to save his people. 
And, and then what happens with Jesus then is that the, fa- the, the plan is fully revealed. It's, it's, it, it's shown. It's, it's actually accomplished at this point, and, and it's on display and in practice. And, and so then we see that, that Jesus himself is the goodness and the loving kindness of God to me, to you, to, to everyone at every time who has ever looked to Christ with faith. And then as verse 5 begins with what, um, verse 5 begins with what are some of the most beautiful words in, in the history of the world. I mean, you see him there. It's just three little words. He saved us. Our, our, our triune God saved us. Do you see that? Who, who does the action there? I mean, this is a little bit of parsing, right? But who does the action? God. What is the action? The actions, you know, salvation from, from sin and the consequences of that sin. And, and who receives the action? Us. We, we do. Uh, you know, in case there's any question as to who's doing what in this work of salvation here uh, and, and the why of it, the text even continues beyond that, right? It says, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. So, you know, the question is, who would be forgiven if it was dependent upon the works that we have done in, in righteousness? And you, you already know the answer to that, right? It'd be Mother Teresa. She'd be the only one. No, you know better than that. It, it's not Mother Teresa. Nobody. Nobody. Not a single person, you know. And so even the second most righteous person after Jesus has not earned their salvation. And we don't know who that would be even, but, but they couldn't. It's almost like if I, if I said only those who can, can throw a baseball to the moon will, will be saved, right? Uh, I can throw it much, much further than my 10-year-old son can throw it. But uh, every one of the Chicago Cubs can throw it further than I can throw it. And yet uh, every single one of us would fall very far short of the 238,000 miles that ball would need to travel to actually reach the moon. That's what our, our best most righteous works are like. They simply aren't going to cut it. Not even close. Nowhere close. And, and you hear this, and you read this, and, and, and I hope it makes us just grateful for, you know, that, that we see this, that the emphasis here is, is that the salvation is not a result of, of human effort. You know, having true saving faith means something else. It means we've got to remove this, this faith we have in ourselves. Um... And I think we all theologically know better than that, but we, we probably do that. You know, you've got to stop looking to our own good works, our own efforts in evangelism, our own church attendance or, or, or Bible reading or serving in the nursery. You know, letting go of uh, any faith in ourselves and placing all of our faith in, in Christ is what it means. Um, so it's, it's not our, our righteous works. That much is clearer than why. Why? You ever wonder that? Why did, why did God save me? Why did he give me faith in Christ? Why, why me? Why? You know? Do you ever, you ever play that game where you finish the sentence game, I, I love you because, and then you have to, to finish the sentence? Um, and it goes back and forth, and it gets real sappy real quick. Um, but you can imagine, you know, that uh, that's one of those sentences. You know, let's, let's play that game right now, though. I'm going to give you a sentence, and I want you to think about how you'd finish it. Um, God accepts me because. How do you finish that? God accepts me because. 
know, God accepts me because I'm, I'm basically pretty good. Or God accepts me because I'm way better than Adolf Hitler was. God accepts me because I'm, I'm true to myself. God accepts me because he accepts everyone. You know, our, our passage today actually gives us a real answer to that, that question, that sentence. You know, look at, look at verse 5 there. Um, it answers why he saved us, and the answer it gives is according to his own mercy. God saves us not because of our good works, but because of his own mercy. <clears throat> Let me remind you that, that mercy means to show compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom it's within your power uh, to harm or, or to punish. And that's, that's the mercy God is showing us. So, so remember our sentence, right? God accepts me because, and now we know how to finish that sentence, God accepts me because of his own mercy. Um, I think some of us are going to find that answer unsatisfying. Because... You know, if we get down to it, his own mercy has nothing to do with my, my character, my, my quality. Um, it, it'd be like, a, uh, you know, if you can imagine a, a husband telling his wife, I chose to marry you because I'm kind, I am a kind and I'm a merciful man. You mean because she's, she's beautiful and kind and selfless and smart and has a servant's heart, right? No, I married her because I'm wonderful and kind and a merciful man. Like... That doesn't sound right, does it? Um, that doesn't make any sense to us, and unless you know, unless his wife is is knowingly unfaithful and selfish and filthy in every way and foolish and full of malice and envy and hatred and hated by others. Once once you begin to see that, it might make a little more sense to understand why his love for him for her and his willingness to wed himself to her is based upon his own mercy and not some quality that she possesses. We also might find that salvation based on the character of God is unsatisfying because it's nothing we're in control of. Nothing at all. And, and, and we so badly want to be in control, some of us more than others. Um, I get really creeped out if I ever find myself in a room where the lock's on the outside of the room that I'm in. Like, you can lock me in here and I can't unlock the door. That's a very uncomfortable position of, to be in. Um, because I want that control. And when it comes to the work of, of God and salvation, we don't have that control, which leaves us at the mercy of God. You see, see why we should be so grateful that salvation is is in the hands of a merciful God. He gives us what we simply do not deserve. And you know, in 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9, we further learn that, that God has always intended this for his people. He says, it says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own, own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then our, our passage then gives us a little more information on how God saves us when he speaks of the washing and the regeneration. This, this isn't baptism. It's a picture of baptism. You can see it there, but it's not actually speaking about baptism. It's a, a spiritual cleansing and renewal. You see, this, this idea of, of regeneration that we see here is the same as when Jesus speaks about being born again. 
You remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says to, to Nicodemus, who's speaking to him, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And again, you know, later in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 1, 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, when we're born again, we're, we're different. That trajectory change that we're talking about, right? We, we are new and different, new and different. That's the point of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, which teaches us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Again, all this is through God. And so when God regenerates us, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And as verse 6 begins, we read that the Holy Spirit is poured out on us richly. Richly. Meaning great quantity, right? Um, as a kid, I, I used to daydream in school and just imagine that the water fountains in school had Dr. Pepper coming out of them. And it was just a wonderful idea in my head. I know, I would have diabetes, right? But it was a wonderful idea in my head because it would be this endless supply of this wonderful nectar uh, we call Dr. Pepper. But you see, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the people of God is like, is like that in abundance. And, and the Spirit provides all that we need to live as, as children of God in this present life now. That's the kind of abundance that we're being given that. Did you also notice that it refers to the Holy Spirit with that pronoun whom, right? Again, Englishy type thing, but you know, meaning the Holy Spirit's not a thing. We tend to use it that way, just like when we don't know the gender of a baby, we tend to call it a thing. Um, but the Holy Spirit is a, is a person, right? The third person of the Trinity. Uh, verse 6 also clearly states that this is all accomplished through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so it is a work of the Holy Spirit to, to give us sight to see and faith to believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. That's, that's the act of saving faith. Uh, and this is just this beautiful Trinitarian summary of salvation. You know, God the Father saves us from his plan before time by regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And it's all through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so finally, we begin to see the results here of the salvation in verse 7. Uh, you know, our last verse today, it says, We are justified by His grace. Simply put, justified means we are declared righteous before God. Uh, Tim Chester explains justification well. I'll, I'll read what he says here. He says, Imagine a trial is taking place. The charge is that we are foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, malicious, envious, Hated and hating. There is more than enough evidence against us, and the verdict must surely be guilty. But then the kindness of God intervenes. It appears in the form of his son. The, the sentence that we deserve is passed on him. He dies in our place and bears our penalty. As a result, the verdict against us is no longer one of condemnation, but innocence. We are justified. And, and that alone would be absolutely wonderful news if it just ended right there. But, but we're not only justified, we also receive eternal life and adoption into the family of God. And, and what it means, that's what it means when our, our passage ends with those words there, you know, stating that we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
See, heirs are, are, are those legitimate children in a family with the rights to inherit what belongs to the family. God makes us part of his family. See, we, we tend to speak of humanity like that's the children of God. That's not necessarily true. You see, every person in the world is indeed the creation of God, but only some, only those who look to Christ with faith and who have been made, have been made heirs and given eternal life can rightly be called the children of God. That's a very distinct statement. That's why Galatians 4, 7 tells us, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, an heir through God. Uh, so you're getting all this. So if your faith is in Christ today, it is because of the mercy of God. I don't know if we dwell on that enough. If your faith is in Christ today, it's because of the mercy of, of God. And, and not only have you been proclaimed innocent of your sin, but you have been adopted as a child of God. And though you will one day die, you cannot avoid that. It is absolutely certain you will forever live in the eternal kingdom of our God. Our God who is full of goodness and kindness and love for you and who has made you his child forever. See, knowing this should, should humble us. It, it really should. And I just think sometimes it kind of just flows over and past us in a way that we, we miss that. You know? But it should humble us to our absolute very core. And, and indeed, a text like this should, should move us emotionally in a lot of ways. You know? It shows us that we are unworthy of love, and yet we have been loved by the most lovely of all persons in existence. And the eternal love of God is the only thing, truly the only thing that the world cannot take away from you. Rest in that. Now, we always want to apply these, these passages, right? We want to take Scripture and actually apply it. One of the most clear and, and immediate applications here is simple gratefulness to God. Gratefulness to God for His mercy. You know, every week we corporately confess our sins and then, and then we confess our, our sins individually. It's part of our liturgy. We, we put it there on purpose. Um, you know, in that time, you're, you're praying to God. You're speaking in your head, but you're actually speaking to God uh, and, and you're telling God about, your, you know, your recent sins that come to mind. Uh, I lied. I, I stole. I lusted. There was malice in my heart. I was jealous of her and, and so on. And then the assurance of pardon is, is read, that it's a, a text of, of Scripture, and it's a text that has been selected and pulled out because it reminds us that even though we have confessed all these sins, that, that God has saved us because of His loving kindness and His grace, and all according to His own mercy. You know, it's worth mentioning, it's not John or, or Travis who forgives you, they're just reading a statement of forgiveness from God's Word. It's, it's God who forgives you in the Gospel. And my, my prayer is that each week during the confession of sin that you, you find yourself again and again and again just grateful for all that God has done for you in the gospel. So gratefulness is one application. The other application of a passage like this <clears throat> is in how it strengthens our hope for evangelism. Uh, and it does so because it, it teaches us that there is not just one type of person God is redeeming. It's not just uh, upstanding, law-abiding businessmen. And it's not, you know, the most vile gangsters. It's not any category that we might want to lump people into at any stage of life or any place in the world. You know, there's, there's no profile for, for those whom God might show his mercy to. And, and thus, it, 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 you know, it, text like this gives us you know, eyes to really see that evangelism can happen truly anywhere. 
You know, that means that there's hope for everyone that we engage with the gospel, no matter how close or far that we might evaluate them to be. Uh, I'll tell you a story. A pastor friend of mine uh, shared this story not long ago, and I, I found it incredibly encouraging, though a little odd. Uh, he lives in, in Los Angeles, mid-cities area, and he lives in a, a quadruplex, and they're doing a church plant out there. And he was out on the front porch one day, late, or one night, one late, late, and they were eating barbecue and drinking scotch. And he asked his neighbor, so what do you do to keep the lights on? And his neighbor told him, I produce films. <clears throat> Makes sense in Los Angeles. The pastor thought that was pretty cool and was asking him, you know, hey, could I watch some of them and we could discuss them sometime? You know, this is missional. Let's get this dialogue going. And uh, his neighbor kind of tells him, I don't know that you'd, you'd like them very much. And the pastor said, I bet I would. Uh, and finally, the neighbor tells him, listen, I produce pornography. And my pastor friend responded with, you know, bug eyes. Is there any more scotch? <clears throat> and that was the end of that conversation. But, you know, a few months went on. And, and uh, later, and, and the neighbor's living girlfriend has a stroke. Unexpected. And, and she goes through months of rehab. And their church brings them meals just to show some kindness to them. And, uh, and they watch her when, when needed. And, and, and my friend says that this all just sounds romantic, like what a wonderful church they are. But the truth is, it was an absolute pain in the butt. It was annoying. It was frustrating. They didn't really want to do this most of the time. And his girlfriend eventually has, has brain surgery. That was what caused the stroke. And um, all their friends, all their business associates um, leave them. It's just have no place for them in their life anymore, and, and, and yet here their neighbors are remaining in their life. The, the church doesn't really do a whole lot during this period of time, but uh, you know they check on them occasionally. It will still bring them a meal every once in a while and just keep in touch. And, and then a few months later, my friend gets this phone call on a Sunday morning. He's busy working to get things together for church, and uh, this guy's in, in the hospital with his, his girlfriend and asks, you know, hey, will you come visit us in the hospital? <clears throat> and he says, sure, I'll come by after church. And uh, it's a bit of drive, you know, to get down there. And, the, and after church, he finds the kids are hungry and they're in a bad mood and he's tired. And, and he just decides, you know what, I'll, I'll visit him later. And then his wife tells him, you know, Tim, we've been praying all year for opportunities. You're going. So, of course, Tim goes. Uh, and he heads down to the UCLA Med Center. And he has to put some hazmat-like suit on that he explains that because the girlfriend has... Uh, shingles and she has a staph infection and some other open lesions type thing uh, and so then he just <clears throat> he just asks them when he walks in hey can I pray for you and he starts to pray in the middle of the prayer uh, my friend Tim just starts starts weeping uncharacteristic of him he just starts weeping and, and then the neighbor's girlfriend she just starts weeping too it's uh, kind of out of nowhere and later during that, that visit, the, the neighbor says, if I knew Jesus was like this, I would have considered Christianity earlier. Um, the girlfriend says she wants to go to church, and, but only if her boyfriend will go with her. And, and, and the guy, you know, gives this expletive, uh, this is an edit, uh, filled confirmation that indeed they are going to church this weekend. Uh, and the pastor tells them, you know, our, our friend... It, our friendship isn't contingent on you coming to church. You don't have to do that. And he says, no, we want to go. And, and so they show up Sunday, and they sit on the very front row, and he said they stood out like crazy, just absolutely crazy. But, but the people have been praying for them, and, and they were kind to them. And, and, and this is an ongoing story. You know, it's still a work in progress, but, but they profess faith in Christ, and they continue to worship with them. And, and they're learning how this, you know, how this new way of life applies to their life, and uh, it's sometimes slower than, than they'd want at times, but they're so encouraged by it in general. And um, my friend said that, you know, he, he, 
you hear this story and he's always afraid. He's like, it, it looks like I'm the hero in this story and that's just not the case. And I, I tell you that so you understand that. You know, he, he said he, just, he found these neighbors incredibly frustrating. That the long-term care of them was just exhausting, wearing them out. And, and that they, you know, they, but they looked at them as this hopeless case, and that was a big reason it was such an exhausting thing to them. And they, you know, these people aren't ready for the gospel. They're so far from that. And yet, God decides to mercifully redeem them from their sin and, and to make them heirs of eternal life. Uh, completely unexpected. And, and stories like this remind me, and, and honestly move me emotionally, because I realize I still don't get how beautiful grace is. You know, too often you think that those people were pretty good and then they finally made it to Christianity. You, you forget just how beautiful the grace of God really is. I don't, I don't fully grasp the power of the gospel to redeem whoever God desires at any moment, you know, whenever God desires. I don't grasp sometimes what we, what we see here and in, in, in God's word here in Titus 3, you know. And, uh, and there's this entire, you know, history of, uh, of God working salvation in the hearts of people that displays to us the, the power that we're seeing here, right? In real life. So I tell you that, you know, so that you'll, you'll trust that God can show mercy to whomever he desires, no matter what their current situation uh, and so be willing to speak the gospel. Don't, don't do that thing we do as Christians where you kind of evaluate where they are spiritually, decide how much you're going to interact with them on things, or like, you know what, they're not there, I won't tell them. Uh, don't do that. I mean, that's part of our, our trusting that the gospel is powerful, and, and everybody needs mercy. Speak up. Let God do the work. Let's pray.